0: to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. And this week, Jasmine will be chatting with Maria Sebrion about an issue I think a lot of us, at least I, and I imagine a lot of you as well, struggle with every single morning. What vitamins and minerals should vegans take in order to obtain optimum nutrition? Maria is the co-founder and CEO of TerraSeed, a vegan vitamin company.
1: Yeah, this was a pretty fascinating interview. It's not a subject that we have talked about a lot and I want to reference this Veg News article from well less than a year ago that we'll put in the show notes because it really goes into detail about this report that was that was authored by the Animal Save Movement and TerraSeed that came out last year. And basically, it talked about the fact that the supplement industry has a huge impact on animals, and there are over 24 billion animals killed for supplements every year, and that there is a lack of transparency in, diclo- in disclosing these animal-derived ingredients, which I think is really fascinating because this is just not talked about. And the industry itself is worth $55 billion. So there is a whole lot of work that TerraSeed is doing along with other organizations to create transparency around
0: this because even longtime vegans don't know about it, like me. That is really crazy. I mean, I knew you were going to talk to her about like what vitamins we should be taking, but this is a much, uh, there's a much more going on here than just. Just that question. Not that that question isn't important, and I hope you all took your B12 today.
1: By the way, I'm glad you mentioned that because I just got my my blood work back today. I, I had blood work done yesterday, and I just got it back, and everything came out great, like really good. And this is interesting because I eat a whole foods based diet and my iron level I eat so much iron my iron level was in the normal range but on the very low side of normal and so that's something I find sort of interesting and something I'm going to maybe I'll start supplementing that cuz I haven't been yes you should yeah so anyway get your blood work done take take your b12 take your yeah I actually ha- I have to do that too all right Stop Stop yelling at me, Marianne, really. It's unbecoming. <laughs> OK, actually, you could do anything you want today, because you are like my hero of the day. Well, that's a little extreme. No, um, honestly I think so. I was cavelling uh, So, as people who listen to this regularly know, I am a host at WXXI, which is Rochester, New York's affiliate station for NPR. Actually, member station is is the accurate way of putting it. Why are you ending all of your sentences with an up note? I thought that that would be my new thing. If you don't like it, then <laughs> you hit. stop. Okay. And so there's this daily talk show on WXXI called Connections with Evan Dawson, and Evan, as I know you now agree with me, is absolutely brilliant. And so he. They put on a show and I was able to say, you have to get Marianne on. They put on a show today. You were the main interview for the hour and you friggin' slayed. Why don't you tell our listeners what it was you were chatting about?
0: Well, the hook for the interview was the Supreme Court case in the Prop 12 case in California. We're waiting for a decision from the Supreme Court whether they're going to uphold or uh, strike down California's ability to, to limit eggs, pork, and and veal sold in California based on some very, very minor reforms to the way animals are treated and whether California can limit the sale. Uh, so that was the hook for the interview. And we did talk a lot about that. He really got into the whole argument and which judge... You know, said what and which way we think they might be leaning, but we also went much broader than that about you know factory farming and why it's such a disaster and 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 you know pe- what what are people's obligations to do? Uh, well, you know the whole you people know the whole trail, <laughs> but then you know one thing that made me nervous is that the other guest on the show was a local uh, farmer, you know pig farmer. Quote unquote farmer, and who has a, it uh, sounds like, you know, I haven't been there, so I can't be sure. It sounds like has an extremely high welfare outfit. They, they certainly charged a really lot of money for their pork. And he was basically on this, we were on the same side on a lot of issues because he was, he's very horrified about factory farming and all of that. It was both. Kind of gratifying and also stressful because, you know, I really felt the need to differentiate myself and stake out my vegan ground without, you know, being hostile or offensive, which is really hard to do sometimes, as you all know. Anyway, you're right. The The guy who did, did the show, the Seven Dawson guy, he's just really, really good. I don't know how he does it. He does two shows a day, five days a week, and on all different topics. He was very well informed. The whole spirit of the show. Was by far the most uh, positive experience I've had in a mainstream venue talking about about these issues. So that was that was really reassuring.
1: Well, because he actually he was like, I'm not, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I'm not proud of the fact. In fact, I, I hate my. He was like, this is the self loathing hour because I know I should. It <laughs> yeah, was like was you couldn't have it, yeah. gotten more friendly. Sure, makes a difference. Yeah, and and then the the guy who was on from the small farm in a way it was like the perfect counterpoint to you because you were able to have common ground in both supporting this bill, but then everything you were saying, every single thing was basically making the point that like these are individuals who should not be eaten. And there was basically no way of listening to you without agreeing because you weren't even manipulating people. You were... (laughs) You were like, "Don't live by my values; live by your own." And I, I don't think it's your value to consume animals. Maybe I don't know. I thought it was like the best messaging I've ever heard, and we'll, we'll oh my link god. to it. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes because you have to listen if you're if you're listening to this. You have to listen to Marriott. You'll also learn a lot too. It was really good.
0: Well, thank you. You're my well biggest done. fan. She's my biggest fan.
1: Well, yeah, but honestly. Truly, I tell you sometimes when I'm like, "Hey, yeah, it was fine, but like this kicks it out of the ballpark, so all right, so speaking of legal things, let's talk about foster farms,
0: yeah, well, of course, this is old news, and a lot of it, because it happened over a week ago now, but it it hadn't happened when we recorded last week's episode, so i I just can't let the moment pass, even though you many of you probably are already very familiar with it, and that is the acquittal of Alexander Paul, Baywatch star, and Alicia Centurio for, quote-unquote, stealing uh, two chickens off of a truck that headed to a foster farm slaughterhouse. And it was extraordinary, just extraordinary. I followed the whole, the way I followed the trial was on Twitter. You know, there were some really terrific volunteers who were um, were just tweeting out every single thing that happened on the trial. and And it was just very exciting, even though they didn't let them argue that they had a the, basically a right to rescue the chickens, uh, which I think is ridiculous. They were able to get in a lot of other evidence. and the jury did not really take that long and just, you know, there was no question that they had taken these chickens. Uh, they they were proud of it and they showed it. and the jury uh, acquitted them in in short order. Uh, I think it's amazing, just amazing what's going on with these trials. like this this is the second acquittal. And these are, you know, these are not animal rights people who are making this decision. And when you get people to actually look, they have to really see what's going on. They are horrified. That's that's the bottom line. And they're like, "Yeah, you can get those chickens out of there."
1: Yeah, abs- I think this is great. I mean, as you brought up on Evan's show today too, like having this stuff in the zeitgeist and having conversations like this. It's not just us having these conversations. Like, they're not just on our henhouse. They're they're happening all over. They're happening in the newspapers that we're all reading. And and there is good news out there. You know, I, I get that if you zoom out a little further, it's good news within a fucking horror show. But let's not lose sight of the fact that things are shifting.
0: Yeah, no, it's been a long time since I've seen as much happen in a, in, in a short amount of time. And these DXC people are there are a lot of what's really making it happen. But other people too, doing different things. But this one was really, this was remarkable, really remarkable.
1: Okay, so before we get to the interview with Maria, I just want to give a shout out to our, our Hen House's Mighty Networks community. Because if you're listening to this, I want you to join it, which you can do at henhouse.mn.co. Everyone can join. There is a part of Mighty Networks that is just for the flock and... The reason I'm focusing on that today is because this past week, we launched our Flock exclusive podcast called Cup of Tea, which is us discussing the meaning of activism in in a variety of capacities. And it's kind of a moment to pause with us. It is live, so you can join the conversation in real time. You can also listen to it later. So please join us. Our henhouse's mighty networks community is at ourhenhouse.mn.co. To become a flock member, you get a bunch of perks, including weekly bonus content uh, and an invitation to join us for our Flock Friday Zoom calls, an opportunity to meet with me one-on-one to talk about your activism or your veganism, and just being the first to know about everything going on here at our henhouse. So thank you in advance. Thank you to those of you who are in the flock now let's get to our interview because I know you're eager to hear this too. As a person who takes vitamins.
0: Yes. And have you all taken your B twelve? I want you to take that before we put the put the podcast on pause. Go take your B twelve and then we will resume. Maria Sebrion is a third-time entrepreneur and a Forbes 1000 honoree with 14 years of experience in the digital and wellness industries. Her current company, TerraSeed, was the first vegan company to be selected by the accelerator Techstars and has been recognized by the natural products industry with the Nextie Award. And she will be joining Jasmine right after this.
1: Socrates once said, the secret to change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. As you probably gathered from the opening quote, change is in the air. I've got big, gigantic, enormous, gargantuan news. Here at our hen house, we have been working behind the scenes for a while on a brand new community resource, and we couldn't be more thrilled to announce that it is now live. The Our House community is a new online platform that will enable vegans and activists to connect with one another on our own dedicated social network. No more random social media ads, spam comments telling you about a miracle cure, or worry about your data being used in nefarious ways. Just an amazing community of change makers at your fingertips. We're really looking forward to having you by our side to grow this amazing networking platform into a -a one-of-a-kind movement resource that we truly believe will be an epic tool in our work to change the world for animals. Head on over to ourhenhouse.mn.co to join us. Again, it's ourhenhouse.mn.co. We can't wait to connect with you. We'll see you there.
2: Welcome to our hen house, Maria. Hi, Jasmine. So nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. Yes, of course. Thank you
1: for all that you do. I'm excited to chat about it. And I know that you're in Boulder, Colorado right now, which is a place yes. that I love. But I'm just guessing that from your accent, you are not originally from Boulder.
2: I'm not originally not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Where are I'm you from? from- I'm not from Colorado. I'm originally from Madrid, Spain. Oh, wow. Another beautiful place. Yeah, and I still have a strong accent, as you can see. It's a (laughs) beautiful
1: accent and a beautiful place. (laughs) Okay, well, I want to ask you more about that. But first, let's talk about vitamins. So other Mm -hmm. than B12, which we can talk about in a moment, if vegans are eating a healthy diet, why do they need a Mm -hmm. multivitamin?
2: A multivitamin will cover your basic nutritional needs. And that, you know, gives you a lot of peace of mind. And that's the reason why we created TerraSeed. There are a lot of vegans who really know how to get all the nutrients they need, vitamins and minerals in their diets. And the only recommended vitamin for those who are very, very knowledgeable about nutrition. Is B12 because that's the only vitamin you cannot take from plants as we eat plants these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that vit- vitamin B12 doesn't exist in plants, but the way we process plants and the way we clean plants that removes the B12 that normally lives on the plant's leaves. So that's the only vitamin that is recommended for vegans. You have a very diligent nutritional, plan. If you are good with that, that's the only vitamin that you will need.
1: Okay. That's good to know. So regarding B12, why is it so important for vegans to get?
2: Well, B12 is a vitamin that is super important for your cognitive functions and is one of the key vitamins everyone needs. So it's not just vegans. Every single person needs that b 12 is one of these vitamins that is very, very important for your brain health and your nervous system.
1: So why is it important to have a multivitamin designed specifically for vegans? Like, does it mean there's something lacking in veganism?
2: It's not that all vegans need to supplement. But for a lot of vegans who don't have the time or the knowledge to eat healthy, is probably something that is going to cover your basics. So for example, you can get omega-3 from flaxseed oil, or you can get omega-3 from other sources, algae, for example. But not a lot of people introduce these type of foods in their diets. Mm -hmm. And you also need to prepare and eat these foods in a certain way. Unless you are... Knowledgeable and diligent about this, the recommendation is that you get that vitamin. For some people, their bodies tend to integrate some vitamins and minerals better than others. So we always recommend that you see your doctor, get your blood tests, and then decide. A multivitamin like terra seed, I mean, it's not going to harm you. Of course, not having too many of these vitamins is never going to be damaging for your body at all. And for some people who don't have that knowledge about, you know, like what am I really lacking, it can give you those basic nutritional ingredients or like vitamins and minerals.
1: So, what about what about omega threes? Like, what do we need to understand about omega threes? Omega three
2: support bodily functions such as immunity, cognition, cardiovascular health. In this case, it's not like a vitamin, it's a a fatty acid. And it's really key in supporting all these functions in your body. Mm -hmm. So with vitamins and in this case, fatty acids, minerals, there is normally like a chain reaction almost, like one nutrient helps the other synthesize another one and then make the whole systems work properly. So if you're lacking one, it's not that there is a lack of one ingredient only. This ingredient is unlocking the potential of another nutrient or another vitamin. And this is a whole system that needs all these elements to actually function correctly. Mm. So omega-3 in this case is more linked to immunity, cognition, and cardiovascular health. But at the end of the day, it's going to support other uh, functions too, and other minerals and elements in your body to do their work.
1: Okay. So that's good to know. But people really seem to think we need fish oil to get omega-3s. Why is that wrong? Mm -hmm. And how much harm is it doing?
2: Yeah, in this case, with omega-3, is really interesting because at the end of the day, it's similar to how animals obtain B12 from plants and people who eat meat obtain B12 from animals. So in this case, it's similar. Fish is a middleman. So fish get the omega-3 fatty acids from algae, mostly. So in this case, it's the plants that they find in the sea, right, which is algae. And then they take omega-3 from algae and they store high quantities of omega-3 in their bodies. And that's how most of the omega-3 supplements you see in the aisle are made with fish oil because it has concentrated amounts of omega-3. The supplement industry is kind of tricky because they've been doing these in the same way for many years. So the whole industry has optimized the system to make it very cost-effective, and right now the most cost-effective way of, of obtaining omega-3 is from fish oil. But at the end of the day, the fish are getting the oil from the algae. So in our case, in terra seed, we're using an ingredient that is omega-3, also has both DHA and EPA, which are the two forms of fatty acids in omega-3, and we are taking these from algae directly. So we are taking these from algae that is grown indoors in South Carolina in this case and is in a very controlled environment with no impact on natural marine ecosystems. And we are taking the oil from the source, that is the algae, mm-hmm. and it's a very pure form of omega-3. The issue here is that it's more expensive, right? And that's why a lot of supplement brands are not using this source of omega-3 because it's way more expensive. The supplement industry is full of these tricks like these uh, shortcuts to try and make the manufacturing process more cost effective, but that doesn't mean the ingredients they use are purer or cleaner or more effective. Mm -hmm. It's just cheaper and that's a shame. In this case, for example, it takes up to 100 fish to create one single pill bottle of fish oil, a hundred wow. fish, which is crazy, right? Like when we can go to the source, that is the algae, and not even that, you can grow this algae indoors, right? With no impact to the environment. So that's why we are creating Terra seed and that's why we are promoting a new way of building supplements, you know, not just for vegans, but for everyone. And that's the core of our mission, actually, is to mm-hmm. stop animal suffering in the supplement industry and there is a lot of more data around the impacts of this industry on animals and the environment that i'm happy to share with you yeah actually
1: i would love i'd love to hear about it yeah tell us shock us
2: Everything started with my own experience as a vegan. Um, I had been a vegetarian for many years and I always wanted to go fully vegan, but I'm a long distance athlete, mountain runner. And I was always like, oh, if I go fully vegan, you know, like all these fears that you get in your head, right? Like maybe I'm missing something if I'm not eating eggs or cheese or... I decided to go fully vegan, but I decided to supplement. I said, okay, I'm going to do this and until I figure out my nutrition. I'm going to take supplements. So I started buying these supplements and it was such a horrible experience. Like all this plastic. That's the first thing that was very shocking. I'm a vegan for the animals and the environment. And I was like, I hate this plastic. I didn't like the experience. And then I found out a lot of supplements were made with animal-derived ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I didn't know anything about this. So I started researching more. And that's when I decided, okay, I want to build a supplement that is fully aligned with the values and the lifestyle of a vegan person like me. So that's how I started building TerraSeed, And it wasn't easy at all. <laughs> it was very challenging in many, many ways, not only finding sustainably sourced ingredients that were coming from plant-based sources, but also the packaging, putting together packaging that wasn't made with plastic, that was 100% biodegradable. It took us quite a while, but we managed to put together this amazing product that is being made with a lot of love and care for people and the animals and the planet. And the next thing we did was to try to understand the impacts of the supplement industry on animals and the environment.
1: Yeah, I'd so, love to hear more about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we actually made a desk report, and this is sort of like a first step into doing a more thorough report. There are around 100,000 supplement Products in the US that are sold every year. So we started like researching about all these products, and there are databases and places you can go and study what mm-hmm. ingredients they are using and what type of packaging they are using. So we found out like half of supplements that are sold in the US today contain at least one animal derived ingredient. Normally, wow. there are two ingredients that you will find in your supplements. The first one, is gelatin, right? A lot of capsules are made with gelatin, and gelatin comes from the bones, fat, and tendons of pigs, cows, and sheep. And that's something like a lot of people don't know. Um, Partly because the FDA doesn't require manufacturers to indicate in supplement facts labels if they are using animal-derived ingredients. So unless they say this is specifically vegan, if they don't say anything, chances are that they are using animal-derived ingredients, but Mm. they don't have to list it, right? And then we started researching how many fish are required to make um, fish oil supplements and everything. So basically, this industry is killing 24 billion fish every year, Mm. 24 billion with a B. Wow. And we were like, oh my God, this is insane. And then on top of that, the same industry is using millions of cows, pigs, and sheep to make gelatin. And also another ingredient that is used to manufacture supplements is something called magnesium stearate. This is an ingredient that is used in the machines, the equipment that manufacture the pills. And it's an ingredient that is used so the pills don't get stuck in the machines. It's just to make the whole manufacturing process very smooth. It's not Mm -hmm. to add any nutrients to the pills or it doesn't have any nutritional value. It's more like a substance that is used to make the whole manufacturing process smooth. And that's also made with the byproducts of uh, cows, sheep, and pigs. Mm. So... These are the two most common animal-derived ingredients that this industry is using right now. There are other examples, vitamin D3 that is boomed with COVID and people stay more indoors and, you know, it's a vitamin that has been sold massively in the last few years. Is normally made with lanolin, an ingredient that comes from sheep's wool. So a lot of sheep are shaved and be removed of their skin to produce lanolin, sheep these days are being genetically modified to produce a lot of wool is pretty shocking.
1: Tell us about it. I mean, Uh, I happen to know just because I wrote a book about veganism and had to like go in the weeds with all this stuff, but there's some new vegans and there's some vegans who've been vegan a really long time and never really thought about anything beyond their food or possibly their wardrobe. So I'd love to hear more about it.
2: Yeah, and a lot of people don't know like D3 comes from lanolin. You know, we use reindeer lichen that comes from China that is sustainably harvested and is sort of like the leftovers of this lichen that, that you can find in nature and you can collect it without harming any ecosystems there. But normally the D3 vitamin comes from lanolin. Again, like the wool industry, the way it treats sheep is just, pretty shocking and, and horrifying, honestly. But these sheep have been genetically modified to grow a lot of a skin because more skin means more wool, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it's a cost-effectiveness sort of a strategy for these industry. So they end up creating these sheep that grow a lot of wool by having a lot of a skin. These sheep tend to have these issues where... The skin gets infected mm-hmm. and flies can go and put their eggs. Pretty disgusting. Mm-hmm. So the health of these chips is just really, really bad. They grow a lot of wool and it weights a lot. If you don't shave that wool, they will die because they will have so much weight on their bodies. They couldn't move, they couldn't eat, they couldn't see. So that's how the supplement industry Get their lanolin to synthesize D three. And that's again, something that not a lot of people are aware of. And that's why we're trying to raise awareness about this issue.
1: A lot of vegans I know don't stop at veganism. They care about sustainability beyond just their choices to go vegan. So in addition to not using animal ingredients, what do you do in order to source your ingredients sustainably?
2: Yeah, it's not only the ingredients in the formula. um, Also, the providers of these ingredients, are they earth conscious? Are they focusing on sustainability? A lot of the providers that we work with are very conscious about, for example, what type of energy they use in their premises, their factories, or what I was just telling you, like omega-3 comes from microalgae grown indoors, or... D3 comes from lichen that is sustainably harvested. Also, our packaging, right? At the end of the day, plastic has an impact on animals because plastic becomes microplastic. For example, when it's in the sea, plastic doesn't disappear, Mm -hmm. it transforms. And normally, when it's dumped in the ocean, it becomes microplastic that then is eaten. By marine animals mm-hmm. like turtles or like fish, and they get contaminated and they get poisoned and they die. So, plastic is another side of this story, right? For me, as part of being vegan, I try to minimize the use of plastic, especially if it's a single use plastic. In this case, with supplements, where I'm going to take my supplements and I'm going to dump my plastic pill bottle, you know, and The reality of plastic is pretty shocking also. Only 9% of recyclable plastic gets recycled. So in the end, when you're seeing like these claims, oh, sustainable packaging, and you see the plastic, chances are that this plastic will end up in landfills or the ocean. And if it's ending in landfills, it's contaminating a lot of underdeveloped countries where all this plastic is taken. And it has a lot of impact on the people living near these landfills and also animals and the environment, right? And then the plastic that ends up in the ocean also is so damaging, so Plastic is a very dangerous material that we just produce and produce and produce and because it doesn't really disappear totally. But after 400 years, uh, it will just be integrated with the earth. But it takes 400 years. That's crazy, right? Yeah. And again, this industry they are not willing to change this because it's a system that works for them. I think consumers are becoming more aware of all these issues and they want to buy products that are good for them and good for the planet. It's very opaque, right, in a way. You don't know where ingredients come from and it's always been a very archaic and opaque industry. So we're trying to lead a new way of doing things here, like be more transparent and more sustainable, and kinder with animals.
1: Uh, Well, there's a lot to chew on there. And I'm not only curious about what you're doing, but I'm curious about you. Tell us a bit Mm. about your personal trajectory because you've had a very varied career. What were the steps that led you here, (laughs) that led you to making vegan vitamins?
2: I think every experience in life build ups towards every project that you decide to build. You know what I mean? I've done a lot of things in my life. I've always been very, very curious about all kinds of things. And now it's more like the environment, planet and the animals, of course, but You know, my personal journey has been interesting. In the past, I've been a social worker. I've worked in international corporation, working in Africa and Latin America, South America. And then I became a full-time mom and I really enjoyed it too. You know, I spent like five years raising my kids, but I've always loved meditation and yoga. So I created a yoga meditation online platform in Spanish, and it was acquired by a company based here in Boulder called Gaia. And then I joined them and that's how I moved to the U.S. with my family. But I just feel that food is something that fuels your body and for me... It's always been really interesting how food has like a certain energy. Mm -hmm. So some foods have an energy that make me happy or stressed or like food has that energy capacity. So if you eat a certain meal, the way you feel after eating that meal is so clear for me. You know what I mean? The energy of a glass of wine or a piece of fruit or chickpeas, you know, like each of these foods have different energies. Mm-hmm. So I started noticing like, mm, when I eat meat or fish, it just doesn't feel good. You know, it's something here, I don't feel good. More than the digestion was difficult. More than that, I think it was more like energy related. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about that and I started removing meat and fish. It wasn't like, for some people, they just watch a documentary or they just, there's something that shocks them and they decide to go vegan or vegetarian, you know, like the next day. Mm -hmm. That wasn't me. For me, it was a longer process. But my husband is also like, Maria, I don't like meat. I want to quit meat. So that's how we started being vegetarians. And then suddenly I was feeling so much better, right? Even with my athletic performance, I've been a runner for my entire life. And suddenly as I was cutting back animal products, I was feeling better and better. I was doing better and better. And I was recovering faster. Um, my performance was great. Wow, there's something here. Very powerful, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I started reading and investigating. And of course, your body is going to recover better. You're going to have less inflammation in your body. And it's going to help your performance. Uh, and then my husband gave me this book called The Plant Power Way by Rich Roll. hmm And I was like, wow, you know, like this is, this is mind blowing. So that's how I started my vegan journey. I started with these recipes and I was feeling so much better when I removed like cheese and eggs and all these other animal derived ingredients. It was a great experience and also felt incredible in my body. My mood, my sleep. There was even something about being more rooted or more like connected with the earth. For me, it's a little bit spiritual. And, you know, being able to see a cow and look the cow in the eye, just feel like I'm connected with you and I'm not going to harm you. It's a little bit spiritual. I'm not going to lie, Jasmine. And all this led me to start working on a documentary, actually, about activist group called Direct Action Everywhere. I read about them in a magazine and I saw that we're trying to go to court and show everyone like the conditions in these places. I became like fascinated with their story. So I joined a team of filmmakers and we've been following them for the last three years. Amazing. Um, So...
1: Last question for you. You have called TerraSeed a human-first company. What do you mean by that?
2: The same as the supplement industry is using these animals as resources, right? My experience working in certain companies is that you become resource, right? Um, and you become almost like a piece in a puzzle with a goal that is linked to money, growth, but growth in a way that is not human growth. It's more money growth. For me, the challenge was to build a company that embraces my attributes of kindness and caring. And that's very present on my personality. The way I operate is finding the strength in kindness and humanity.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And love, right? So I wanted to build this company in a way where I build a team and my team are human beings. They are not like human resources. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They are not like pieces of machinery that I'm going to use and throw. And I really think that a company is just an organization made of people, of humans with human problems and human issues. And if you don't see that person in front of you, someone who has all these personal lives and emotions and someone who you really need to respect as humans, right? Um, for me, it didn't make sense to be a like company that wasn't honoring that and wasn't acknowledging the humanity of everyone in the team. And that's how I operate. So here it's really respecting the human person who is in front of you. At the end of the day, your team are dedicating the most precious resource they have, which is their time. Sometimes that's missed a little bit when people build up their teams. and So it's just really looking at that person in front of you as a human first, Mm -hmm. not as a
1: resource. Right. Well, that is a very beautiful way of ending, I think. I can't thank you enough for all that you're doing, Maria. If you could please tell our listeners how they can get your product, to find you online and
2: support your efforts? If you want to learn more about our product, uh, you can go to terraseed.com. And terraseed is, uh, you know, T-E-R-R-A-S-E-E-D.com. And then something I wanted to mention, Jasmine, is that we are running a campaign with Joint Forces with Animal Safe Movement to make a petition to the FDA to make mandatory for brands to include information about the use of animal-derived ingredients in supplement facts labels. Because now it's not mandatory, no one is doing it, so we want more transparency about the ingredients that are used in supplements. So we are gathering signatures, and we have almost gathered 5,000 signatures and we need to get to 25,000, so we need a lot of help <laughs> with mm-hmm. this. You can find all the information about the campaign and sign up for the petition in a webpage that is terracetransparentlabel.org. Okay. terraseedtransparentlabel.org. The campaign is called Transparent Label Campaign. So that's another thing that we are doing. We are putting or little contribution to make this world more ethical and more kind and, and more vegan. <laughs> yes. That's all yes. we want.
1: That's all we want. Well, Maria, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today on Our Hen House. And we will link to all of those links that you just mentioned in the show notes. We really appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you, Jasmine. It's been great sharing and thank you for listening to me. And it's been a pleasure.
1: Change the world for them. So, thank you so much in advance for leaving us a friendly review.
0: Anxieties are rising. Our first story is from Australia. Thank you to a listener in Australia who sent this to us. Always excited to find out what's going on in Australia because frequently it's nuts. Uh, Not that it isn't nuts here. And this is from a publication that seems to be called Beef Central. Sounds like, you know, nice. Nighttime reading, doesn't it? AG Force warns of potential animal activist activity. And this is uh, from AG Force is apparently a Queensland farm lobby group. And they are urging producers to stay alert but not alarmed. Uh, and because police are warning of potential animal activist activity. And in a statement earlier this week, AgForce said that the Queensland Police Service had advised them that the Farm Transparency Project, which is, uh, you know, this this activist project in Australia where they've been trying to find out and and uh, where factory farms are and advertise that, has recently finalized a campaign calling for photos to be entered into a competition under the heading of Bearing Witness and Undercover, encouraging footage that supports their animal activist agenda. This makes sense because, you know, they, they've been trying to pinpoint where all the factory farms are, but it would be great for them to have some some uh, pictures of, of what's really going on there. It sounds This sounds like an amazing project, actually. I'm glad to know about it. They were previously involved in inciting animal activists to take part in on-property protests and incursions, particularly pig, poultry, and dairy farms. Yeah, I, I would guess that. Be what their interest would be doesn't seem that that surprising. I'm glad to know that they were being incited to do that. Uh, maybe they were just it was just a suggestion. I don't know. Members are warned that activists may install recording devices on properties that actually would be pretty bad for them, and or disrupt the operations on agricultural and pastoral properties. You know, they're just making this stuff up from what they've seen happen before. I bet they don't have any particular reason for what they're they're making people all upset about. Ag Force also has a series of general rules for landholders who are approached by animal activists. Remain calm. That's a good idea. Don't shoot anybody, okay? And politely ask them to leave. Otherwise, alert the police and use a phone to film the encounter. Okay. Yeah, please film everything. Everybody should be filming everything. Maybe they they should just take film of what's really going on in their farms and add it to the project. There's an idea. As long as it's real. Probably wouldn't be. All right, from meetingplace.com. This is from Free Range Thoughts, which is a relatively new column by one Jack Hubbard. What happens when the certifiers are, quote, certifiable? Get it? Get it? Like he's using the term certifiable. You know. He right, starts off by saying, animal welfare is a legitimate and major topic of conversation throughout the industry. <laughs> I bet it is a major topic of conversation. Well, not the animal welfare itself, but the activists. I have seen farm operations, he says, spend millions of dollars on the best equipment, veterinary care, biosecurity, and studies dedicated to continuous improvement. Yeah, on on what planet are you living, Jack? Farmers care deeply about their animals. Oh, that planet. Yeah, I've never been to that planet. And know that healthy animals are the bedrock of a sustainable farming operation. However... Some activist groups do not think this is enough. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. It's not that they don't think this is enough. They don't think it's the truth. <laughs> like that's, that's very different. They are, and They probably don't think it's enough either, but they also don't think it's the truth. They are pressuring food companies and their suppliers to commit to independent third-party audits of their operations. Oh my God, imagine that. Independent third-party audits, as if farmers can't be trusted unbelievable. He's saying that, you know, that can be fine. It depends on who they are. There are many wonderful welfare certifications out there with standards that are science-based. Yeah, right. Yours. But beyond the standards, I encourage all industry leaders to take a long, hard look at who is behind the standards and the program. Actually, I would encourage everybody to take a long, hard look at that. I think that's a really good idea. Ask yourself if they have your organization's best interests in mind is that actually what is that what you're supposed to be doing when you're a third party certifier you have the best interests of the organization in, in in mind how about the best interests of the animals and whether they are trustworthy then he starts talking about Global animal partnership which you know used to be affiliated with Whole Foods but they split off and um they're you know they have this five part I think it's still a five part. System of raiding animal farms, quote unquote farms. Gap currently has eight board members, he says. Three of those board members qualify as anti industry activists. Apparently, we're supposed to only have pro industry people on, on this. One is Matt Birdchadker, CEO of the ASPCA. He's currently leading a coalition of radical animal rights groups. This is the ASPCA, I might add, on Capitol Hill to hijack the Farm Bill. <laughs> Hijack the farm bill. Oh my God, these people. They their demands include a national ban on newer expanded large animal feeding operations. Well, there's a pretty decent idea. They're not I would like to see them ban all the old ones too. Increased federal regulation of meat marketing. Oh my God, the outrage. And subsidies for farmers who transition from raising animals to plants. Because, you know, that would be bad for farmers in some way. I guess they shouldn't get subsidies. The ASPCA's own website decries that 95% of farm animals in the U.S. are raised in factory farms. Well, yeah, that would be true. Uh, that would be true. Then another board member, Sarah Shields, Dr. Sarah Shields, works for Humane Society International. Ben Williamson is another board member. He's with Compassion and World Farming. And two other board members are senior executives with Whole Foods, which is often referred to as Whole Paycheck. Yeah, like... Ten years ago, <laughs> that joke died out. I don't know. They are expensive. I'm not saying they aren't. I can attest that the exorbitant prices at Whole Foods, he has to say, in and around Washington, D.C., are not in any way sustainable, affordable, or socially responsible for the vast majority of Americans. So I guess, you know, if you come from uh, Whole Foods, you you wouldn't know anything about where food comes from. Instead, you should come from, like, you know, a place that sells meat cheap. You come from a place that sells meat cheap. Then, then you would really know how animals should be treated. That makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, he concludes: choosing a certifier with a board composed of anti-farming activists, executives representing an elitist supermarket brand, and niche farmers better suited for a farmers' market than a national supply chain is more than a gamble. It may be certifiably insane. Get it? Certifiers certified. So funny! What a wit! All right. Finally, uh, from the Meet Your Markets column, also on Meeting Place, this is by one Matt Graves. American Prairie versus Save the Cowboy, episode 3.0. Conclusions and recommendations. Uh, this has been a series of columns, which you know I haven't, I haven't talked about before, where he's talking about a conflict that is apparently going on in Northeast Montana that involves uh, 3.2 million acres of land. And this, there's this outfit called American Prairie, and they want to quote unquote rewild this land. Their rewilding idea includes grazing wild bison, maybe other animals as well. I don't know, but you know, in a much more extensive way, opposing the effort. So they're the they're the liberals in this story. I'm just letting you know. Opposing this effort is Save the Cowboy, because. Save save the cowboy. Is that, is the cowboy really what's at risk in our world today? A group of Montana cattle ranchers and other Montana cowboy centric groups bent on preserving their ranches, income, heritage, and way of life from APs, that's uh, American Prairies, encroachment. Yeah, you know, these people like feel like they are history. Do they realize, you know, they've been there for, like, white people have been there for maybe A couple hundred years, maybe not even that. Yeah, probably about a couple hundred years. Like, there was history before that, folks. Like, you're not history. You're the newcomers. Anyway, so this uh, Save the Cowboy people, uh, according to Mac. And I'll tell you, Mac's opinion here is going to make you really happy. He says they're not going to win this protected war against the well-heeled AP Philistines. Apparently, AP has a lot of money. They're rich people. They want to save the land for you know their, their small grazing operations and for recreational uh, things. They're, they are a lot better than Save the Cowboy, I guess. If you're going to rate, you're going to rate uh, different types of cowboy outfits. But of more importance, there is an overarching issue. Sell cultivated meats. Which will eliminate the need for live animal protein production, fundamentally altering all that both AP and STC hold dear. Well, yeah, yeah. So he says that uh, until cell cultivated meats become real, AP's attempt to rewild a large segment of Montana will proceed in part by dual purposing cattle raising and range restoration. Like I said, they're not against having animals out there, they just want it to be fancier. But he just thinks it's all short-term. Beef marketing is on the cusp, he says, of a dynamic, life-altering change. Because cell-cultivated meat, not plant-based, is an inevitable iteration of the next step in producing animal protein for human food. With CCM, in six weeks, you can have your steak and eat it too without enduring the 26 months it takes to bring beef from... Beef, he means a cow, from conception to consumption. And if the environmental impact of cell culturing beef is minimal compared to the conversion of eight pounds of feeds for every pound of beef grown, as well as hauling live animals, feeds, and carcasses in carbon-emitting vehicles, not to mention the methane belching that goes on in pastures and feedlots. Wow. He's got the message. I'm with him. So, you know, he's saying like this is like a interesting conflict for now, but with the advent of CCM, both will no longer be necessary. While they futilely bait and berate each other, neither recognizes nor prepares for the eventual real winner, cell cultivated meat. I am so with him. And I am so happy I read that because it cheered me up today. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties.
1: Well, that's it for our show. As always, if you enjoy the podcast and you're able, we would be thrilled to have you join the flock by going to ourhenhouse.org donate and signing up for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you are welcome to make any size donation that feels comfortable to you. You can also support us by leaving a glowing review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, where you can also leave a fabulous review and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Our Henhouse. Join our online community at OurHenHouse.mn.co and spread the word about the podcast to friends and family. The Mighty Networks platform, which again is at OurHenHouse.mn.co, is available to everyone, regardless of whether or not you're a flock member, though we do have a lot of robust information behind the paywall of the flock section. So do consider that when you're considering joining the flock. And if you already support us, thank you so much. Remember, if you become a flock member, you also get bonus content each week, an opportunity to have a one-on-one session with me, Jasmine, and you also get access to that aforementioned fabulous flock bonus area of Mighty Networks. If you donate $250 or more, we'll also send you a pretty fantastic our Hen Brass Pin. So thank you so much to those of you who support us. Thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, to Vicki Beachler for her work in producing this podcast, to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Eric Montgomery of the Podcast Haven for his work editing the podcast, to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez, and to Veronica Kalinska, who designed our logo and other graphics. I'm Jasmine Singer, and I'll talk to you next week.